Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Evan. We are going to read from our text today, which is Genesis 18, 1 through 15. I encourage you to find it in your Bible, on your tablet, on your phone. Uh, last week, we were on page one of our Bibles. This week, mine has page 14. Go ahead and comment what page you're on, because I'm just curious. Every Bible is different. Let's read the text together. Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abram, Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and set these before them. While they ate, he stood there, uh, stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am old and worn out, and my Lord is old, and will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's hang on to that phrase as we work through this text a little bit. Uh, in the 1950s, J.B. Phillips, the author, uh, wrote uh, and pastor wrote a little book called Your God is Too Small. It's a marvelous short little book where he talks about our inadequate views of God and what an adequate view of God would look like. But in the inadequate views of God, Phillips talks about uh, a psychological experiment that was done with some enlisted men within the Navy about that time where they simply asked the question, does God understand radar? To which most of the, uh, the men that were asked reflexively answered no, and then thought about it further and thought, well, he's God, so I guess he would have to understand radar, right? Like, but what's interesting is, um, one, I'm curious if you want to comment, uh, how would you modernize the question a little bit more? Of course, we still have radar, uh, but I've used this with youth, and I've asked questions like, could God beat you at Call of Duty or something like that? So how would you modernize the question? But as you think about it, reflexively, when we ask a question like, is being asked in the text, is anything too hard for the Lord? The obvious answer is yes, that's being assumed there. And that's the answer I think we always want to give. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, nothing is too hard for the Lord. 
Of course not. Well, except. Right? Those exceptions start to creep in very fast, I think. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Of course not. Except fixing my marriage. Except finding the right career. Um, Except clearly revealing my calling or my vocation, my destiny, or even what I should do with my time this week. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We want to say, of course not. Well, except reconciling my relationship with my father, mother, aunt, uncle, sister, brother, friend, co-worker. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, no, of course not. Except maybe helping my kids make better decisions or relieving my depression, my grief, my loneliness, my anger, my heartbreak, my feeling of rejection. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Of course not, except maybe fixing racism and injustice. These exceptions creep in very fast into our minds, even though we don't want them there, I think, quite often. And the problem is when we let the exceptions start to rule, then God becomes a little less exceptional. When we let the exceptions start to rule, we start to get an inadequate view of who God is and what God does. We can easily start to form an idea that God is distant from our problems and our world and our life as we think that there are exceptions to what the Lord could do in our lives. And that's a false view that God's distant. We can, can, can sort of begin to think that perhaps God has the power to act, but God doesn't have the desire to act in our lives. Or we could go a step further, and, and when we get to that point, we start to do things on our own. Well, if God's distant, and I don't think God's going to act, it's all up to me. We start to live that way. And we can come up with a third conclusion as we keep going down that path, that not even God, even if God wanted to act, God couldn't. God doesn't have the power to do it. There are exceptions. God's just a a really, really good human that's got a little more power or an angel that's not eternal or something like that. When we start to let those exceptions rule the day, we can start to get an inadequate view of who God is and what God does and what God's promised. God is a God of blessing. We saw this last week as we opened up Genesis. We saw that God, as he creates, comes from farther to closer to his creation with each progressive step and blesses and blesses and blesses along the way and promises, promises the best for his creation. That's what he wants. And God's promises are good and God can fulfill all he promises. We heard that in the children's message very well. If you want to put it in a short form, God is good on his word. God says he's going to do it. God can and will. But let's take each of these inadequate views we could have in turn as we kind of walk through parts of the text. We can start with those exceptions that creep in to think that God is distant. But in fact, God is close and personal. That's who God is by nature. If you go to verses 1 and 2 again, the very first two words in my text have the Lord, which will come put a pin in that, but that's the, a, a big title for God, the Lord. God is there, present in this moment. The Lord appeared to Abraham, Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while sitting, he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And then Abraham looks up and he sees them and he starts to, to be hospitable towards them. So this is the heat of the day that Abraham is doing this. These visitors arrive, he's relaxing, and he recognizes that this is an important moment that requires hospitality and, and good hospitality. I mean, they get out the good wheat to make the bread and, and everything else. He choices, picks choice things to serve 
to these three visitors. Around our house, uh, we joke, or I joke, uh, you can determine whether it's funny later, uh, that we should use good manners at the table. Um, sometimes we don't. I'm okay with that most of the time, but sometimes we'll kind of cross a line, and I'll say, you know what, let's practice a little better just in case the queen stops by, which, of course, we live in the United States in Nebraska. The queen's never stopping by my house, but at least we might rise to the occasion a little bit more. Abraham understands he's got important guests. Abraham doesn't know maybe the fullness of who they are, that doesn't seem clear, but he knows he's got important guests that seem to be messengers from heaven in some way he discovers along the way. He rolls out the red carpet. It's interesting that Hebrews describes Abraham as as good as dead. Um, he's old, is what it tells us, quite. And Abraham, in the heat of the day, is running around doing all of this. This is an important moment. He's taking great care of these people. And I want us to think about hospitality when it comes to how close God is or could be to us. And think about this when it comes to hospitality. There's something significant about our hearts and what happens to our hearts when we're hospitable. When we're hospitable, we're more attentive to who's there and we're more receptive to those people that are with us when we're hospitable. We pay attention better. And think about that when it comes to your proximity to God. And you can answer this online if you're so bold, but at least make a note of this uh, as if you're taking notes this morning. In what ways can you be more hospitable to God's presence? In what way does your heart need to be more open? Do you need to roll the red carpet out a little bit more so God can be close at hand? Who's visiting then? That's a key question in all of this. It does use the Lord, which the Hebrew word it uses title as Adonai that's used there, which means Lord. Uh, that term can be used from person to person, but often is ascribed to God. It's a very common title of God in the Old Testament. And we do know, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, that the Lord is spirit, but here God comes in some way, shape, or form in human form uh, to visit Abraham. That's what we're being informed here. And he, he's addressed as the Lord in the text for us to recognize that. Nathan Stone, the author uh, and writer on the names of God, points out that lordship means complete possession, but importantly for this, it also means complete submission. If, if you're under the lordship of someone. And Abraham demonstrates that submission through his hospitality to these guests, to Adonai. Second way we can have an a view of God that's inadequate that we talked about at the beginning is not simply that God is distant because we're saying God is close and personal. I think that's revealed throughout scripture. But will God ever act is a question that we sometimes have. I think that's an inadequate view that can creep in there when those exceptions get there. And God will act. God will act on God's timeline for God's plans. That's how God functions. Genesis 18, 9, and 10 the three visitors are there, and they ask, where is your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, and here's part of the promise that's being fulfilled, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. God blesses his creation on a regular basis. Over and over. That's God's character. It's in God's nature to bless. In fact, God has already blessed you more times than you can probably count just this morning with the ability to get up 
and make coffee or whatever you did for breakfast, to brush your teeth, to get out of bed at all, to turn on the technology by which you're watching this and do all the other things and then take in the air that wasn't yours to begin with that God gave freely and is trans, uh, transferred in and out of your body. God gave all that already this morning. Have you said thanks yet? God has got a blessing and constantly blessing us. And God promises among his blessings, and we'll see a little more of that promise in a moment, but God is good on his word, and let's just point out the quality of God's word is good. Not even the ability to fulfill it, we'll get there in a moment, but the fact that God will act, God, the quality of what God does is good. It's worth believing because God said it. It's morally right because it comes from God, and it has the character of a creator God who is good. We don't define uh, goodness any other way except by God. God is good. He's not like goodness. To give a little more flesh and understanding to that, A.W. Tozer, I think, says it well when he says, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of good towards all. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. The goodness of God is the drive behind all the blessings he daily bestows upon us. God created us because he felt good in his heart, and he redeemed us for the same reason. God is good. The quality of what God promises is good. Now let's talk about Sarah for a moment, because in the midst of God's good promises and good word and even visiting personally, where was Sarah uh, when it says, when Abraham points, she's over there by the entrance, uh, likely entrance, or it, it might mean something a little bit more like a subdivision of the tent. There'd be kind of a men and a women subdivision in the tent. But let's just face it, it's a tent. You can hear through the walls in a tent very easily. Um, and so she's hearing what's going on. She laughs. Obviously, it goes both ways. They can hear some of that as well on the other side. She laughs, but God is able to bless and to promise. They know that. Abraham and, and Sarah know that God blesses and promises and had promised to them. But frankly, to provide a child to a couple well past childbearing age seems a little far-fetched in that moment. I think it would to all of us. It seems crazy. And so Sarah doubts. And let's face it, we all doubt at some point. It happens. We all doubt. And it's a natural cycle of belief in a broken world that at some point we're not going to trust God is good on his word. But God's going to do what he says he will do on his timeline in his way and fulfill his promises. The third thing that we can kind of, an inadequate view that we can come up with sometimes though when we doubt and when we have those exceptions that come in is we question whether God is even able. Not even if he's willing, but if he's able, if he has the power. But you see, God is able to do what he says he will do. Further on in the text in verses 13 and 14, it continues on with the promise, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Then the key question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Obvious answer, of course not. I will return to you at the appointed time next year, 
and Sarah will have a son. We know the other side of the story. It happened. But the, the, the big theological idea that's being presented here is, is, uh, that I'm presenting is omnipotence, that God's all-powerful nature, that if God wills it, God can accomplish it. There's nothing that will stop God from accomplishing what God has willed. And this doubt creeps in uh, for Sarah, and there's doubt that Abraham has at times too, so let's not let him off the hook. Abraham and Sarah... They've been faithfully walking with God, and they've had their moments of doubt, and they will have their moments of doubt, but they've been faithfully walking as God says, I'm going to fulfill my covenant with you. I made a promise. I'm good on the promise. There will be a child, God is telling them. That's what I promised. There will be descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. That's the promise I made. And ultimately, that's leading to the redemption of this broken world through that promise. That's what God is doing. And we know, because we're on the other side of the story, that that redemption comes through Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all that promise, that God becomes his most personal and close, his most timely and his most able to do the redemption of of all who call on his name through Jesus Christ. That's the fulfillment of the promise that God is going to fulfill through Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah doubts. And we can understand why. Um, There's a term that gets applied uh, for women who are pregnant over the age of 35. Um, That's a fascinating term to me, and every woman I've ever met who's had this term applied to them over the age of 35 um, has a not favorable reaction to it. It's called a geriatric pregnancy, to which every woman I've ever met over 35 is kind of like, what'd you say? When that comes up. The fancier term now is advanced maternal age. Um, But let's face it, Sarah is a genuine geriatric pregnancy. Genuinely. Genuinely that. She doubts because she is that. How in the world is this possible, God, that you're going to do this? But God created Sarah. And I think it's really important that when she doubted, God loved Sarah. And he didn't bring the hammer down on Sarah. Oh, he calls out when she lies, but he does that because otherwise you can't move through and walk together. You can't live in the lie and walk together. So he calls it out, but the reason that they're able to keep walking forward is because they've continuously demonstrated faith that God can, and God will, and God is able, and God is close. They've demonstrated an open heart to God's blessing and promise throughout, and they've had their moments of doubt But they're just moments of doubt. God has worked in their lives before and God continues to walk with them even in those moments of doubt to bring them back to an adequate real view of God because God is not foiled or fooled by human doubt. God's not thrown off. God doesn't give up on us just because we have doubtful moments. God is merciful when we can't see how his promises will be fulfilled. I have a friend who, uh, when I met him years and years ago, um, there were a lot of doubts. There were a lot of doubts that he could get his life back in order. There were a lot of doubts that he could feel worthy of anything, that God would work in many ways. His life was out of order. He'd experienced an awful lot of rejection in life. But as he began to walk with God and turn his life towards Jesus Christ, he was eventually able to be free of many vices that had held him back. And, and just dug in that rejection and that feeling of hopelessness. He was eventually able to get back on an actual career path 
and find his way. And then when he finally found his, what would be his future wife, um, I was skeptical. I doubted. Um, they were the perfect match. But as he continued to turn his life over to God's goodness, he began to see God work. Now, God's going to fulfill his promises in God's way, and God is good on his word, and God was good in that life. God's been good in many of our lives. I've heard multiple testimonies uh, this week of when it feels like there are exceptions that God can't, but God actually does and will. Um, God will. Now, God's fulfilling his promises. God wants to redeem us. God wants to put back together that which was broken. That's the promise that's being redeemed, not simply that God would give us a get-out-of-jail-free card for the things that we've done and don't really want redemption. God's going to make us uh, whole again through Jesus. That's the promise, and God can, and God will, and God is close through that process. But as we consider and, and close out here, doubt can creep in. So comment if you want online, but at least write down your answer to this. What doubts do you need to hand over to God today? Where have the exceptions crept in? Where have you limited God's power in your mind when God is able, but we're thinking God can't or won't? What doubts do you need to hand over? Uh, I'll end with this simple short quote from Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman. He says, if God can create the cosmos, uh, the world, if God can create the cosmos, he can certainly cause an old couple to have a child. God can. God's the creator of all. God's the one who blesses us on a regular basis. God wants our best, not our worst. God wants to redeem us. And God will walk with us in those times of doubt. God's promises are good and God is good on his word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, have mercy on us. And we know that you do. We know that you do on a regular basis, that you bless us over and over, and we're not thankful sometimes. You bless us over and over, and you draw close, and we ignore your presence. You bless us over and over, and you are able, and you are willing, and we think you're not. Lord, help us see that you are willing and able to fulfill your promises. And we're part of that promise. You want us to be redeemed, to be made whole again as the whole image of you. You made us in your image. We're broken from that image. But your son says, I want you back. Your son says, I'm going to transform you so you radiate my glory to this world. And Lord, could we radiate that glory today? Could we be redeemed today to be made whole dispel those doubts walk with us when we hold on to them but god walk with us so that we don't feel anything but your presence today amen we're going to make a transition here in our service uh, from the word to a blessing i'm going to invite fred and barb bailey to come forward um, and Mike and Jen Davidson are also involved in this. They couldn't be here today. Uh, come on up here. I'll clear some space. And I'll have you stand right here, if you would. Uh, come a little bit more. A little bit more. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Perfect. There we are. Um, we have the, is it a joy? It's a joy. We've had a joy being with you both, but um, it's also bittersweet to say goodbye. And so uh, we have a moment where one of the things that we have to recognize about church life is that sometimes we're really good at saying hello and really bad at saying goodbye. And uh, we're going to do two goodbyes today to four different people who have meant a lot to us as a congregation. We're doing it because we want it to be an act of grace, um, that we're all believers in Jesus Christ, and we all represent the church in all its various forms around the nation and around the world, but we may not always do it together in the same local congregation. And so we recognize that today. So our church family is constantly changing. People come and go. Babies are born. Children grow up. Loved ones and friends among us come to the end of their lives. Individuals move into our community and church life. Others leave us, moving away to new places, new experiences, and new opportunities. It is important and right that we recognize these times of passage, of endings and beginnings. And so today we, rec- we want to say thank you to Fred and Barbara Bailey and to Mike and Jennifer Davidson, who will be pictured on the screen Fred and Barbara are moving away. Mike and Jennifer are leaving their membership status behind, but will still remain friends of the congregation. And there are several things we want you to know as we move forward uh, from this place. We want to thank you for the way that you've lightened our load through your service to the congregation. We say the same to Mike and Jennifer. We will miss your support, but we know you will add much to the lives of those as you find a new church family. Never forget who and whose you are. First and foremost, you are a Christian. We all are part of God's family, even if we find different ways to express it. Do your best to live up to your high calling as followers of Jesus Christ. And on those occasions when you fall short, be assured that God's love for you never fails. So I, all the way over here, hold on. We offer a token of friendship. I know you're trying to clear out your house, but here's one more thing. We offer a token token of friendship to you. This is a First Covenant Church Christmas ornament. I hope you don't have one already. All right, so you now can decorate your Christmas tree when you get to Colorado, but we hope that you keep it as a continual reminder of your time with us. And we are thankful that you've been a part of this congregation and were a part of our life. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we ask your blessing upon the Baileys and the Davidsons and thank you for their service to our congregation. Watch over them, protect them, and assure them of your abiding presence in every situation. Give them the peace of knowing that there is nothing that can ever separate them from your love. We now send them forth with our blessing and with our prayer for yours. Amen. I would give you a hug, but air hug. (laughs) Thank you both.